Yeah. 
Good morning, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us uh, this morning. My name is Jay. If you're new here, I'm the director of worship for City Church. And if you're joining us online, we're so glad you are uh, tuned in. Uh, we begin uh, each of our Sunday morning services with uh, a call to worship. And this uh, season is Advent. And so we are observing Advent together. And um, for those who may not be aware, Advent really is just it's a season of expectation, anticipation, and looking towards the coming of Christ and identifying with the people of Israel as they look towards their Messiah, but also understanding and reflecting on that we too are in an Advent season as we await the return of Jesus um, to bring his kingdom in full. And so this morning we have um, Alexandra and Andrea Garcia who are going to lead us during this time. And what we do each week during Advent is we read passages from the Old Testament. We light the Advent candles of the Advent wreath. And as we approach Christmas, we see the coming light of Christ coming in its fullness. So, Alex, would you lead us during this time? Also, just a reminder, there is a call and response at the beginning and at the end of the scripture reading. So we would encourage you to join us in that. Take it away. So... Jesus said, I am the light of the world. The one who follows me will not walk in darkness, but have light of life. The people who walk in darkness have seen a great light. Those who lived in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. Isaiah 9.2 Isaiah 42.16 and I will lead the blind in a way that they do not know, in a path that they have not known. I will guide them. I will turn the darkness before them into light, the rough places into level ground. These are the things I do, and I do not forsake them. Isaiah 49, 6. The Lord says, it's too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preservers of Israel I'll make you as a light of the nations, that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Isaiah 58, 8. Then shall you light for, break forth like the dawn, and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rare guard. Come, Lord Jesus, our light and our salvation. You can also take the unlit candles and turn them over. We've been having issues this Advent season with these candles, and it's, it's partly because of the AC system, which is wonderful, right? We need the AC. But it's like perfectly positioned right on those candles. So it's like, light it, blow it out. Uh, but uh, let's pray together as we begin our time. God, would you be with us this morning? Would you help us see you in all your glory as we observe the anticipation, expectation, the coming light of Christ as the Israelites were looking 
towards uh, God, their Messiah coming. Would we look to you in that same hope and expectation for you to return in your fullness to make all things right, to wipe away every tear? God, you, um, you are good. You are faithful. We know this to be true. Would you help our hearts believe it? And so sing to you with, with praise and adoration for who you are found in Christ. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Would you stand with us? Let's, uh, let's sing together. Sing together. Angels we have heard on high, sweetly singing o'er the plains and the mountains in reply, echoing their joyous strains.
sing together. Oh, Lord, my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the world's thy hands have made, I see the I shall bow. Sing it out. How great thou art. 
Good morning. Welcome to City Church. My name is Chipper. I'm one of the pastors here. We are a church aspiring to be an authentic community walking with God in our city. I want to say some thank yous and I want to congratulate some people. Number one, last Sunday we maybe had more things going on at one time than ever in the history of our church. We had two Christmas services. We had a baptism out in the parking lot. We had an info meeting for a prayer team we're forming downstairs. And we had a banquet after all of that for some of our neighbors in the downtown community that do not currently have homes. And so it meant that, I don't know, basically everybody in our church was doing something to serve, and we appreciate you. I want to say thank you, um, and we praise God for you. God was working in powerful ways last weekend, and I expect he will do the same this morning. Also, congratulations to those of you who finished your degrees and graduated. A lot of people. Yep, clap for that. 
We had a lot of people in our church that were on the uh, December graduation schedule. Praise God. Hope you're enjoying your weekend um, and you're able to celebrate. And we're grateful that you're here and we're grateful that none of you are leaving. You're all going to stay here. That's very encouraging. Um, a few things. Number one, we would love to get to know you. Um, we encourage you to fill out a connection card. We put those in your bulletin when you walk in the door each morning. Consider in particular putting a prayer request on there. And then if you stick that card in the seat pocket in front of you, we pick them up after the service, or you can drop it in the brown box in the back. There's a virtual card as well. It's the same card, citychurchgmv.com connection. You can fill that out on your phone. We worship a generous God. Part of our responsive worship as a people of God is giving generously. You can give online, citychurchgmv.com give, or again, you have the brown box with pins and envelopes in the back. We are on a special... Sunday uh, holiday schedule, you might say, so our small groups, which are kind of the relational backbone of our church, are on break until the first week of January, so our leaders can rest and you can travel and do all of that. Um, we are meeting at 10 o'clock like we are today, not only this Sunday, but the following two Sundays. So that's the 26th and January 2nd, and on the, on the 9th, we'll return to our two-service, 9 and 11 a.m. schedule. And then Christmas Eve, so that'll be Friday evening, 6.30, we have a Christmas Eve service here. And that is big-time family style. So that's, that's kids of all ages. Everybody is in this room, and it's a wonderful time. And it's interesting because we do the candle lighting thing, and we have the kids, and you just never know what's going to happen. So we hope that you are here with us at 6.30 on Friday night. Great opportunity to invite people from your community, uh, people that you work with, neighbors, et cetera, et cetera, 6.30 Friday night. And then one of the things that we emphasize when we kind of make our way into the new year, so this will be 2022, is prayer. And I want to put this on your radar. The second week of January, so this will be starting January 10th, we do a, a full week of what we call fasting and prayer. So uh, we encourage you to uh, fast lunch if you're medically able to do that, physically able each of those days of that week, starting January 10th, and then join us for a prayer gathering at 5.30 that night in here. Um, even if you're not able to go to the prayer gathering, we hope that you will consider fasting and using that space during your lunch hour to pray. Um, and then it will be a guided prayer time, so we're going to have a, a prayer guide that we'll give you in the new year so you can kind of know what's going on, different topics each night. So again, on your radar, I hope that you will plan to be there. This is an annual thing, actually more than that. We do this at the beginning of each semester now, so I so hope that we will see you. And then our perspective, not our a perspectives class, which is a, a missions class that goes on um, kind of regionally here in Gainesville, is starting on January 4th. Wonderful opportunity to learn about what is global missions, how can I be a part of that. Uh, it's at a church just a few miles from here. If you want more information, just put something on your connection card. We would love to tell you more about it, but we want to put it on your, on your radar because it's happening very, very soon. Our scripture passage for the preached word this morning is from the book of Revelation, chapter 21, verses 1 through 8. Revelation 21, 1 through 8. The passage will be up here on the screen. If you have a Bible, we would encourage you to open that up and follow along with us. There's also some blue Bibles and the seat uh, baskets in front of you. You can pull one of those out and follow along too. Revelation 21, verses 1 through 8. This is the last of a four-part Advent series in which we're trying to figure out why did God bother with the Incarnation? Why did he send his son Jesus into this world? Uh, why go through all of that effort? Uh, we've already talked about adoption, redemption last week, reconciliation, and we're concluding with a focus this week on restoration. Restoration, Revelation 21, 1 through 8. We read this passage for us, keeping in mind that this is God's 
true and authoritative word. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for a husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have his heritage. And I will be his God, and he will be my son. That's for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable. As for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Let's pray together. But what a, what a stirring, <laughs> arresting passage. I mean, there's, there's maybe not a passage like it in Scripture where you get the best news and then the worst news all in, in one breath. And so I do pray that you would help us navigate this. We have no chance of understanding and rightly applying any of this without the power of your Spirit at work in us. And so we pray for that. We, we plead with you for that. Father, I do want to pray a, a special prayer for those who are, are hurting and, and struggling quite mightily. Um, in the Midwest and kind of in the South who've been affected by the tornadoes. Um, we do pray for those who have lost family members and friends in particular. We pray for uh, churches who are trying to serve their communities, sometimes without having a church building anymore or severely damaged building. And I pray that you would equip us um, here in Gainesville, Florida, to be the kind of people that could engage and serve uh, financially or otherwise, give us wisdom on how we can uh, be there for those who are broken and hurting in different parts of our country and the world. We love you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. When the book of Acts, chapter 1, there is this particularly emotional scene in which the disciples ask the now resurrected Jesus, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel. It's emotional because this question was packed with centuries worth of disappointment and pain and exhaustion, some of which we explored this past summer when we studied the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. But this question was born out of a very real sense of hope as well, the, the kind of hope that makes sense when you see that your leader has risen from the dead. Hope that makes sense when your leader has promised you the Holy Spirit. Hope that makes sense when your own scriptures appear to foretell the kind of restoration that you're asking about. Well, as I see it, we can relate to exactly half of this. I mean, we, we feel the emotion behind that restoration question don't we? I mean, who isn't dealing with some disappointment and pain and exhaustion these days and, and wondering when it's all going to end? Who doesn't sense 
some brokenness out there and long for a fix. But, here's the thing. I'm not so sure we're all that hopeful. At least not a lot of us. Consider the stories we're, we're telling in our films and literature and so forth. Stories that, that in a very real sense reflect our, our psyche. In 2019, this was, this was pre-COVID, Tom Hanks told reporters that he took the role of Fred Rogers in the movie A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood in large part because, quote, cynicism has become our default. And he wanted to participate in a project that challenged that posture. Consider the very conspicuous rise of conspiracy theories, which assume, number one, that various people and forces around us are acting in bad faith with malicious intent, and number two, that there's not all that much we can do to stop or reverse the damage that's being caused. So there is a sense in which we're asking, Lord, will you at this time restore us? Will you restore our world? And then thinking to ourselves, maybe not. The wounds seem awfully deep. The brokenness seems awfully persistent. And then we go watch Squid Games. Maybe one of the most cynical, nihilistic shows ever created. But church, God will, and he is, restore. That's the biblical witness. Even now, God is recreating and renewing a restoration project that ends up promoting both hopefulness and then, as we'll see later, action. So let's step into a book and in a passage that very much serves as, as a sort of theater of God's restorative work, a passage that points us forward in a way that is profoundly relevant for today. Two reflections that will guide our time together this morning. Number one, restoration later, and then number two, restoration now, which should be a film title if it isn't already, like a, a more charming sequel to Apocalypse Now. <laughs> restoration later and then restoration now. Let's start with that first reflection, restoration later. However broad and prominent you think this idea of restoration is in Scripture, I promise you that it's broader. Promise you. Journey with me through some biblical examples. Shout out, by the way, to a, a delightful resource called the, the Dictionary of Biblical Imagery for helping me come up with a robust and representative list. Check this out. Family members are restored to one another. You can see all these in Scripture. Family members are restored to one another. People are restored to offices. People's bodies are restored to health. Life is restored to the dead. Garments are restored. Fortunes are restored. Cities are restored. A kingship is restored. The temple is restored. Israel is restored after exile, sort of. Stolen property is restored. Money taken by fraud is restored. A person guilty of sin is restored by the church. A person's soul can be restored. A person can be restored 
to the joy of their salvation, redeemed people can be restored. So the bottom line here is that God is a God of restoration. That's who he is, and that's what he does. So here in Revelation chapter 21, the second to last chapter of the last book of our Bibles, it's not all that surprising that we encounter this breathtaking passage about restoration. That's where the biblical storyline has been going, really, from Genesis chapter 3, dropping all kinds of hints along the way. But we are surprised, nonetheless, by the, the scale and the perfection of this restoration. I mean, Forget this business about getting your garments back. I mean, the, forget this whole thing about, you know, the, the Nike Jordans that someone stole from your gym locker. Now, now we're talking about, Revelation 21.1, a new heaven and a new earth. Now we're talking about a new holy city, verse 2, a new Jerusalem that's exponentially better than the original Jerusalem ever was. Now we're talking about God being physically with his people, verse 3. Not by means of a, of a tabernacle or a temple, but like in their living room. Now we're talking about no more death, no more mourning, no more crying, and no more pain. Verse 4. So the idyllic circumstances of Eden, which were lost in the fall when Adam and Eve decided to put themselves in the God seat rather than obediently living underneath God's loving care, these circumstances are clearly being regained, and then so we're going towards a greater Eden. When will this all be regained? Later. John, one of Jesus' closest disciples, wrote the book of Revelation while he was exiled on the island of Patmos, a book aptly named, seeing as it contains a revelation that the resurrected and now ascended Jesus gave to John by means of supernatural vision. This revelation revealed to John the behind-the-scenes spiritual things that had been happening in history, as well as the events that would unfold upon Christ's second coming to judge the living and the dead. But there wasn't a date stamp. There wasn't a date stamp. You know, there wasn't, there wasn't a Revelation chapter 23, you know. Have your, have your bunker ready by March 3rd. You know, but don't worry about storing any cans, because on that day I'm going to show you the most spectacular non-perishables you've ever seen. There's nothing like that. So why the forward-looking revelation without a date? Two reasons. Number one, to encourage faithful churches and faithful believers to remain faithful with confident hope. And then number two, to warn lukewarm and relatively faithless believers to get their act together. The issue is not the specific timing. The issue was motivating faithfulness among the people of God. 
And the thing is, when you give a date, you end up working against both of those causes. You know, as, as the date approaches, faithful people are tempted to fatalistically check out. You know, they're tempted to move to Oregon and make a spam run. And conversely, the, the faithless or, or the lukewarm people are tempted to remain checked out until the date approaches, kind of like partying at your parents' house while they're out of town and then doing a panic clean the hour before they get back. So we don't get a date. But the people of God, that is those of us who have put our hope in Jesus Christ, we do get glorious, hopeful confidence. Confidence that keeps us going no matter the nature of our present circumstances. Confidence that the resurrected and ascended Jesus will come again and that our Advent waiting is not in vain. But this time, when Jesus returns, he'll be riding in on a white horse instead of sleeping in a manger. And when he does, it's going to be something for God's adopted spiritual children. It's going to be like this. And you'll have to excuse me because I'm going to, I'm going to get to preaching for a minute here. When he comes, church, you will be given perfect resurrection bodies that are like Jesus' resurrection body, something we've just been talking about in our 2 Corinthians series. And in those resurrection bodies, we will be living together in a fully recreated city, in a new heaven, in a new earth, worshiping, working, and resting, none of it frustrated, none of it disordered. There will be no more sea, verse 1, which means, and I... I promise this is really the only downside to this whole thing. It means your beach trips will be permanently canceled. Sad, isn't it? Except, you know, those, those mountains people are out there right now with their chacos and they're thinking to themselves, I knew it, I knew it. That's not what it means. There, will, there, will, there won't be any more sea. The only thing that's getting canceled here is restless evil and rebellion and danger something that Jewish thought and symbolism associated with the sea and various beasts of the sea. You can find examples of this in Daniel and Isaiah. And it makes sense when you think about it, the, the wicked cause, the kind of chaos and churn you think of when you think of the sea. And, and adversaries sometimes take advantage of sea passage to wage attacks. But in the new age, there will be no more sea. All wickedness and evil will be completely gone. So yes, Jesus has already defeated that wickedness and evil, but in the new heaven and earth, it will be completely eradicated. It will be entirely wiped out. Nothing will threaten God's people. Not adversarial nations or powers, not murderers or abusers, not not internet trolls. There will no longer be wars or rumors of wars. No more trauma. No more Twitter pitchforks. But it keeps getting better. Look at verses 2 and 3. The main thing here in this new heaven and new earth is that we will be with God 
and all of his glory and splendor. Sometimes at Christmas, you hear these, these sentimental kind of FOMO things that go something like this, you know, oh, how I, I wish I could have been at the manger when, when Jesus was born, what a sight that would have been, you know, Mary and Joseph and the shepherds and the angels, how wonderful. Listen, folks, God will personally dwell with us again. And everybody in Christ will be there for us. And when it goes down, and I, I hope I'm, I'm not being sacrilegious here when I say this, when it goes down, it's going to blow the socks off the manger scene. Not going to be worried about the manger scene anymore. And this time it's going to be permanent. And the level of intimacy will be so rich and so satisfying that the best way to describe it is by using wedding imagery. The church, the bride, will, will come down and God will look at us and, and treasure us the way a groom treasures his bride on their wedding day. And it will be an entirely unhindered relationship in which we will be face-to-face -face with God enjoying him the way Adam and Eve did before they sinned and hid and got evicted from the garden. Given our, our present moment, consider, and I think very poignantly, consider that nothing about our relationship, nothing about our relationship with God will be pixelated, nothing will be on Zoom. I just saw that a rather rather large church in the U.S. is now using the so-called metaverse for online services where you walk into a digital sanctuary with your avatar and you watch the sermon and you talk to other avatars and I guess you have some avatar coffee. I don't know really how it all works. Kind of looks like The Sims if you're familiar with that. I don't want to go down this rabbit hole right now. Actually, I do, but I won't. So let's just say this. When Jesus returns, there's not going to be a metaverse. I'm completely serious about that. Everything will be in real time with a real God in a real place with real people. No more live streams. Nothing will get in the way of real, in-person relationships with God and with one another. And God, now I'm looking at verse 4, God will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more, and neither shall there be mourning, or, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. We could say a lot of important things here. We made quite the list. You know, no more COVID, no more arguing about COVID, no more political strife, no more sleepless nights, no more homelessness, etc., etc., etc. But consider this. Back in Isaiah chapter 65, we find prophetic language that actually matches some of the language in Revelation chapter 21. It, it speaks of God, similar to this chapter, eventually creating a new heavens and a new earth and rejoicing with his people in Jerusalem. 
And then it says this. This is Isaiah chapter 65, verse 20. No more shall there be in it, that is, this, this new Jerusalem, an infant who lives but a few days. If that's not one of the very worst parts about this world we live in, I don't know what is. And some of you have experienced this either directly or indirectly. But when Jesus returns, God will wipe every tear away from our eyes. In this kind of thing, infants living but for a few days, that will be gone forever. So here's how you can package this. Check this out. Jesus himself became a child so that he could walk about the earth for more than 30 years and eventually go to the cross and defeat the sin and death that have given us a world in which some children don't make it past a week. So, Christian, keep going. By the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, keep being faithful. This is the kind of restoration that awaits you when Christ returns. Full stop. It's like kids waking up too early on Christmas morning or your, your grandma sending you some socks. It's, it's going to happen. What does this faithfulness look like? It's one thing to exhort it, you know, hang in there. And what, what is it, though? What do we do now? That, that is a huge question with a huge multifaceted answer. So this morning we're going to press into just one part of this answer that interacts very directly with this restoration theme. And that brings us to our second reflection. Restoration now. God gives us stewardship, and we talked about this last week. He gives us stewardship, or, or you might say, sub-creator roles in all of the things we've been talking about during our Advent series. Adoption, redemption, reconciliation, and now restoration. How is that possible? Because adoption and redemption and reconciliation and restoration are all things that, in a sense, God has done, is doing, and will do. All of those things are, saying, are true at the same time. Case in point, verse 5 of Revelation chapter 21, And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. So restoration has been accomplished. It is ongoing and it will be accomplished in the future. Even though full and, and perfect restoration is coming later, he is, he is up to it now. The, the renewal project is underway, and so the future restoration is guaranteed. And that is how we, the people of God, figure into things as his stewards and sub-creators. We play a very real role in the is-restoring, the, the is-renewing that God is doing, primarily by giving folks a taste of what God is doing on a far grander and cosmic scale. Just like we have a ministry of reconciliation, something that 
we're going to talk about in a few weeks when we return to our Second Corinthians series. We also have what you might call a ministry of restoration as well. And I want to show you how this plays out by taking a look at four major spheres. Vocation, hospitality, care for the downtrodden and marginalized, and then finally, evangelism. How does our ministry of restoration play out in all four of these spheres? Number one, vocation. If you're doing any kind of work that involves helping people regain something, that they've lost, any kind of work that involves wisely stewarding God's creation, any kind of work that involves reordering, you know, bringing order out of chaos, you are partners with God as he makes all things new. It's very important to remember that we are not focused here so much on, on the specific outcomes of our work, but on the faithfulness along the way. Again, sin and death have been defeated, but until Christ returns, they're still around, and they will continue to frustrate even the restorative work that we're doing. Medical professionals. Perhaps, most importantly, nurses, since it seems like that profession has been hit the hardest by the pandemic. Every IV that you insert every medicine you supply, every comforting word that you say is restorative work in its own right that blesses people now and images the perfect restoration that awaits God's people. Parents, those rooms that you're cleaning, the laundry that you're folding, the comforting hugs that you're giving, all of that is restorative work that glorifies God and images a perfect restoration that awaits God's people. And, and parents, you, you know all about bringing order out of chaos, don't you? And then doing it again five minutes later. And then doing it again five minutes later. And that work couldn't be more valuable in God's eyes. One more vocational example, which means that I finally get to hop on this soapbox just for a minute. Lionsgate just released a new movie called American Underdog, The Kurt Warner Story. Okay? You didn't know that, now you know. And if you're unfamiliar with that story, and I don't know, it could be a great movie, it could not be a great movie, I have no idea. But if you're, if you're unfamiliar with that story, it's essentially this, this sort of rags to riches thing in which an anonymous athlete who struggled in college and at one point found himself out of football entirely, he eventually becomes a Super Bowl-winning quarterback. That's the basic storyline. Like I said, I have no idea if it's a good movie, but I do have a big problem with this line that keeps showing up in their promotional package. It goes like this. The story, this movie is a story of NFL MVP and Hall of Fame quarterback Kurt Warner, who went from stocking shelves at a supermarket to becoming an American football star. Here's my problem. I'm completely serious. What was wrong with stocking shelves? 
How is football stardom fundamentally better than that? Oh, he's a QB now, finally doing something that matters. That's garbage. I'm being completely serious when I say that God does not see those things differently, and he assigns value to both. Grocery store clerks who are busting their tails to keep their store running smoothly, to keep the shelves ordered and presentable, they are doing restorative work that glorifies God and images the perfect restoration that awaits God's people. They are bringing order out of disorder, and that work could not be more valuable in God's eyes. I want to make a movie called American Underdog, you know, the the Chuck Daniels story, where a guy named Chuck, who's stuck playing quarterback in the NFL, finally gets his break and becomes the manager of a Publix. And the fact that this seems humorous to me and seems humorous to all of us shows us that we've digested some cultural values that aren't God's values. Number two, hospitality. So number one, this is what it looks like occasionally. Number two, hospitality. Christian hospitality, if we are co-restored, sub-restored with God, it means opening the doors of our homes, our churches, all of it, to everyone. That's our default mode. That's just who we are. It's this kind of 1 Thessalonians 2.8 vibe where Paul says, because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. And in doing so, with people from all walks of life, we are dignifying fellow image bearers, showing them something about the welcome of God, and pointing them to the new heaven and the new earth, where we're going to live among people, this is Revelation 5.9, ransom for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. As another author has put it, the gospel comes with a house key. Number three, care for the downtrodden and the the marginalized. One of the ways that you can see the value of that kind of restorative work, care for the marginalized and the downtrodden, is by considering that Jesus didn't go straight from the manger to the cross. He stuck around for a while, proclaiming the gospel of God, but also ministering very personally to lepers, social outcasts, so forth, particularly them. You can see the same kind of thing codified in the Mosaic Law, which which emphasizes restorative justice. And when we care sacrificially for people in this kind of way, we are imaging all sorts of things about the new heaven and earth, a place where there will No longer be haves and have-nots, a place where everyone will have a beautiful home, a place where unemployment will be a thing of the past, will have perfectly satisfying work. And finally, number four, evangelism. Evangelism. Part of God's restorative work now is the spiritual restoration that he's doing in his children. That's part of it. 
So how do we participate in that? By pleading with everyone we know to experience this work by repenting of their sinful idolatry and putting their hope in Jesus. And perhaps, most importantly, by telling people that the restorative trappings of the new heaven and the new earth are only for those who are in Christ. Not for perfect people, but for those who are hidden in the perfect Son of God. And if you're thinking to yourself, wow, that is a buzzkill. We were just rolling and then, whoop, like just totally cratered at the end there. Well, that's exactly the shape of this text. Look at verses 6 through 8. And he, the Lord, said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But, as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. So the restorative work we're doing, church, as God's stewards, is not merely physical and emotional. It is all of that. But it's fundamentally spiritual as well. Urgently so. So we image God's restorative work in our vocations. We throw the doors of our homes open to any and all people. And finally, we urgently work restoratively, spiritually, emotionally, and physically. I think one of the most powerful aspects of this text is that it brings all of these things together. All these things that we're arguing about right now in the Church of Jesus Christ, they come together beautifully, powerfully, uncomfortably here in Revelation chapter 21. If you are in Christ Jesus, keep going. I hope you are so encouraged this morning, especially those of us who are downcast and dispirited. And tell other people about the hope that you have in Jesus and the restoration that is to come. And if you are here this morning, you would not say that you put your hope in Christ. Maybe you would say, yeah, I'm... I'm a sorcerer, I don't know, maybe. <laughs> I'm the idolater. I'm the liar. Even now, you have the opportunity to repent and to put your hope in Christ Jesus and to be adopted into the family of God, a family in which the Father will not allow Satan to snatch you out of his embrace. doesn't matter what your background is. You could be the idolater of idolaters. Even now, you have the opportunity to repent. Put your hope in Christ. And join us in worshiping God.
the new heaven and the new earth. There's going to be no more pain, no more tears, no more mourning. Amen. Every week at City Church, we participate in the Lord's table together. I said this last week, and I will repeat it a second time for posterity. Um, what we just had here was a, a verbal sermon of sorts, communion. Thomas Watson is the one who uses this language. Thomas Watson says this is a, this is a visual sermon, where we get to more tangibly, physically participate in what we've just been talking about. The Lord Jesus in the night that he was to be betrayed, he shared a meal with his disciples. And during the meal, he took the bread and he broke it, saying, this is my body given for you, broken for you. Do this whenever you eat of it in remembrance of me. And then in a similar manner, after the meal, Jesus took the cup, and as he poured it, he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink of it in remembrance of me. The Apostle Paul says, as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, you're proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes again. We're proclaiming the death of the one who died and rose again and ascended into the presence of God. He is making all things new. He's going to come back and he's going to finish all of that one day. I hope that you will come forward considering all of those things, being nourished in your faith, being encouraged. The Spirit of God's at work to help you not just remember, but to actually affect transformation and the receiving of this meal. If you submit to it in faith, God will use it, I promise you, to renew and restore you. If you're here and you would not say that you're a follower of Jesus, we are so glad that you're here. This is a home for you. This is a place for you to wrestle with the hard questions. Let's get uncomfortable together for the glory of God. We love you, and the doors of our church are open to you. Instead of participating in a meal that you would not say that you believe in, at least at this time, we would encourage you to simply reflect on what we've been talking about and have conversations. Reach out to me. Fill out a connection card. Say, hey, I want to chat about this. I don't know. I don't know. Find me after the service. Talk to someone next to you and say, I don't know. I don't know about this. In just a minute, I'm going to pray. And then after I pray, that will be our dismissal for communion. And you'll, you'll have an elder or a deacon on either side of this table. Each of them will have one of these uh, bowls here with wafers. And when you approach one of them, they will hand it to you. And then you can certainly uh, just pivot after that. And then there's some cups of juice right here that will be available. And you can take one. You can stand or kneel or whatever up here if you want and take those elements. Or you can go back to your seat and do the same. And then after we're done with communion service, uh, either uh, the deacon or elder will be at either side of this stage near these doors. And they're available for pray, as we say. It's a tight space. We don't have lots of room for this kind of thing. So just go do it. You know, you might be in the public eye a little bit. But we want you to take advantage of that and pray with these elders and deacons. They love you. And they... They want to spend time with you. Let me pray, and then you can approach the communion table when you're ready. Lord, we, we give you praise for um, a meal in which we not only commemorate, but really consider the power of um, what Christ has come to do. And Lord, at the end of the day, this is what makes the adoption and the redemption and the reconciliation and restoration possible. May that nourish us spiritually, fortify us in our faith. May we investigate our hearts by the power of your spirit that sin might be exposed. Lord, if there's any malice in our hearts against 
our brothers and sisters in Christ. Would you expose that so we can repent of it and even go and be reconciled this morning? I pray for those who would not say that they're in Christ, that you would give them clarity and illumination this morning. We love you, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
you stand with us? Let's keep singing as we're continuing with communion. We started our service off with this song uh, as our prelude. Let's sing it together as a church. grace of God has reached for me. The grace of God has reached for me. And pulled me from the raging sea. And I am safe on this solid ground. The Lord is my salvation. of his word when winter fades and a spring will come the Lord is my salvation Is I- 
Christ is born.